Hey, I would love it if you guys could grab your phone. Uh, if you didn't know this, you could go to the App Store or Google Play and you could download the Bible app. If you have a hard copy Bible like this, turn to Acts chapter 3. That's where we're going to find ourselves today. Between, uh, we started just a couple weeks ago, but we're in a series we're going to be going through through Acts chapter 1 through Acts chapter 8 1 in the next few weeks, which will lead us to Easter time, which I'm super excited about. And then, uh, just so that you know, after Easter, we're going to go through a, uh, a family series, and we'll be looking at some of the things that attack uh, families and attack relationships. So whether or not you're, you're married, you're single, you're a kid, uh, you're a grandparent, there are things that uh, uh, kind of threaten relationships, and God has given us uh, everything that we need to be able to counterattack that. And so we'll be looking at a four-week series about uh, what do we do when there's money issues in our lives? What does the Bible say about money? What do we do when it seems like we experience conflict after conflict with the people that we love the most? What does the Bible say about that? When it seems like either your kids, probably not your kids, but the neighbor's kids and the other kids at this church are just unruly and it just seems like it's absolutely crazy. What, do we, what does the Bible say about that and how do we address that? I'm excited about that one because when we dive into that uh, series a little bit, you might be able to help uh, shepherd my kids a little bit because my kids could be unruly. But on April 26th when we do that one, we're going to do baby dedications here. And so if, if you know someone that is, is part of our church and they'd like to to dedicate their child to God. It's uh, something that we uh, get from, from 1 Samuel chapter 1 when Hannah, who's the mother of Samuel, takes her child and, and she goes, God, he's not mine, he's yours. He's a gift from you. I am going to dedicate him to you. And in our surrounding, what we want to do as a church, if, if, if Hope Community Church is your home church, then it's what you're, what you're saying is that, it, yes, it is your responsibility to parent your children, but it's not just your responsibility to parent your children. Uh, it takes a village to raise a child, and so you're asking the church to pray for your kid on a regular basis and to help lead your children in what the Word of God says and in the, uh, the faith that we have. And so it's not just mom and dad, but it's, it's friend, it's neighbor coming alongside and pushing uh, your child forward. And I don't know about you if you're a parent, but it seems like there's some things I tell my kid over and over again. Uh, this is what the Bible says. This is who you are. You have to, to know this. And I feel like I'm repeating myself over and over again. And then they go to Sunday school and they come back and go, this is what I learned in Sunday school. I never knew this. And it was the exact same thing I've been telling them. But sometimes it takes that extra person to, to speak into their life for them to grab something. And so April 26th, we'll be doing baby dedications. But today, we are in Acts chapter 3. I'm going to, to pray over this text before we reread it and we'll dive in. Father, I pray that your, your Holy Spirit that is present with us now would be working at, in every individual's heart. Spirit, I pray that you would, would make the introduction to Jesus to us. We need to know him more in our life and we can't do it without you working. And so would you soften our hearts to be able to hear from the word of God. Lord, I pray that you would help me to be faithful to, to teach out of this word. Um, I know that I am 
fallible, I am sinful, and, and I need your grace and I need your mercy. So would you, would you work in spite of this, the preacher today? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up from the temple at the hour of prayer. It was the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. He fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entering the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Sometimes I, I think that we, we go through the motions of church because we feel like we have to. And some of us have lost our wonder and our amazement about who God is and what he wants to do in this place right now. And I love this story. It's our gaze back on the power of who God is. I want to give you a little bit of context. We're going to dive into this narrative a little bit more. And then to preach. And so today I am... I am going to give a sermon about a sermon, which kind of sounds weird. Uh, I'd almost say, like, you could go read his sermon and go study and think about it, and God has a word for you. Uh, that's probably what we're doing for community groups this week, is if you dive into community groups, we're going to read Peter's sermon, and God has a word for you. So I encourage you to read Acts chapter 3 before community group and come ready to share, because God may want to use you to help a change and affect the entire group. So so we have this man who is, is begging, and the text says that he's been lame since birth. At the end of the chapter, we learn he's 40 years old. For, for 40 years, the people would, would carry him into the temple area. And what is important for us to understand is that if you were a Jewish person living in Jerusalem at this time, and you were a good Jew, you would go to the temple at least three times a day. If you're a really good Jew, you'd go four times a day to pray. It was part of the tradition and the ritual to make sure that everything that you do starts and ends with God. God's temple was right there. That's where they believed the presence of God existed. And so every day they would go into the temple and they would remember that they were meant to love the Lord their God with all of their heart, with all of their mind, with all of their strength. And they would pray. They would pray for their neighbors. They would pray for food. They would pray prayers of thanksgiving. They would pray things that were scripted because sometimes they didn't know what to pray. And so they'd go through the Psalms and they would read and they would focus their attention, their minds, and their hearts on who God is. And at the gate of the temple, the gate called beautiful, that's just some context so that we know it's a historic place. If you're into archaeology and stuff, you could see where that place was and where this man would be brought every single day. And it was custom for religious people 
to, to get closer to God by giving to people who did not have. And so the poor, the cripple, the lame, it was help them grow closer to God. It was an act of obedience. But a lot of them would go, look at how rich I am. I am going to give five bucks or $10 or $20 to the lame guy here. He's a sinner born at birth, not being able to walk. He's not as good as I am, but look how good I am. I am going to give him money. What I want to focus on is this man, every single day, would be brought by his family members because they had to help take care of him. They would be brought by their friends, whatever their family situation was, and be placed at this gate for 40 years. And he would ask people for money, and people would come in and out of the temple three, maybe four times a day. And they would see him, some of them just passing him because they're focused on what they need to do. Other people on the Sabbath, when a whole bunch of people are there, might give a lot of money. But this guy is dependent on everyone. Because he was there for that period of time, we know by the literary text that he has heard of the name of Jesus. How do we know that? Because in the book of John, and the book of Luke, and the book of Mark, and the book of Matthew, we see that these writers are talking about how Jesus would go from Galilee to Jerusalem, and he would worship at the temple, and he would do everything that was required at the temple. In John chapter 5, Jesus has this uh, a war, essentially, with the Pharisees of the t- thing, and he's like, God, the Father, is always working. I am healing people and you're getting upset with me because I could heal people. In John chapter 5, Jesus heals a man who was lame from birth at 38 years old. Can you think about what this man is thinking at the beautiful gate when this man, just like him, was healed? Maybe he didn't yell loud enough. Maybe Jesus didn't walk close to him. Maybe he he didn't get Jesus' attention. But I am sure, and this is my speculation... That because in John chapter 5, a man very similar to him was healed by Jesus, he might have been thinking, maybe Jesus will come into my life. Maybe Jesus might come closer to me. If he did it for him, he could do it for me. In John chapter 8, there's this battle between the religious people and Jesus because of healings and miracles on the Sabbath. And, and Jesus says, your father is Satan. You religious leaders, you have no idea what God wants to do. God is about restoring and bringing people back. And I have done everything in his name. And this man is sitting there at the temple gate, able to hear these words going back and forth. And I'm sure in the back of his mind, he's thinking, I know this Jesus, I've heard about him. He's the man who just last year healed the lame man just like me. And we don't know if he yelled loud enough or he didn't yell at all, but this man was sitting there not being healed. He heard in the temple courts The news as Jesus was arrested and he was beaten and he had to take the crossbar of his cross and march it through Jerusalem to get to the edge of town to this hill where he would be nailed to this cross and he would die. Everyone was talking about it, especially at the temple courts, at the temple gates. 
And so this man heard Jesus died. And he probably heard sorrow, people closest to him, upset that he died. And religious people go, I'm glad that movement's over. That guy was a hypocrite. That guy was a blasphemer. But then people start worshiping at the temple and start talking about the name of Jesus again. We got 3,000 people from last week in Acts chapter 2. Who, who put their faith and trust in Jesus, who, as I said, came home. They repented of their sins, and they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were added to the number of the church, and they are good Jews. And they're sitting there, and they don't know what to do, and so they go to temple three, four times a day to pray and to worship God and to talk about what Jesus is doing in their life. And so this man is sitting there listening to the murmurs of who Jesus is in the temple gates, in the temple courts. And then John and Peter come walking one day. And he looks at them, but he's not really looking at them because Peter says, look at me. Did you catch that? Like, He's asking for money and he's kind of looking at them. I imagine that this man is looking at everybody and go, hey, alms for the poor, alms for the lame. Can, can, can you help me out just a little bit, but not really being there? There's the intersection at Antelope and Roseville Road there. And there's always people asking for money on the side of the street right there. And, and there's been times where I'm the first person turning left into the Walmart or at Home Depot making a U-turn get there and the person's right on the island like looking at me and I'm like fiddling with my cell phone the radio not trying to make eye contact because I don't necessarily want to help someone in that situation maybe that's shame on me I don't know you could judge me if you like to but there was one time where someone just got up right next to my window and he's like looking at me he has a sign and I'm like trying to avoid eye contact and finally he gets up to the glass and he's like and I roll down the window just a little bit he's like hey man can you help me with a little bit of money and I'm like yeah and I grab some change and I hand it out to him he's like how come you didn't even look at me I'm like well I didn't really see you he's like you saw me and I was like you're right I did see you here here's some more money for you and uh <laughs> But we have this situation where this man is, is sitting there and he's looking at Peter and John. He's like, give me some money, but not really gazing. And Peter looks him straight in the eye and says, look at me. Grabs him by the hand and says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. A couple things I want to point out. This man knows who Jesus is. He's heard about the crucifixion of Jesus. He's heard about the miracles of Jesus. He's heard that the religious leaders that allow him to beg for money right there in that spot don't like him. And in that moment, he has a choice to make. Does he grab onto Peter's hand? Or does he go, you know what? You say you don't have any gold or silver. You can't really help me. Leave me alone. But he makes a choice and he grabs onto Peter's hand. And I don't know who's pulling more, Peter or him. But at the name of Jesus, he pulls up. And Luke, who writes the book of Acts, he's a physician. He says that instantly his ankles and his feet were healed. 
and they become firm. And he starts not just walking, but leaping and jumping and praising God. And the last verse that we read says, And everyone, everyone was filled with awe and wonder at what had just happened. Jesus shows up and everyone's filled with awe and wonder. And this guy is going crazy, going, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And he's jumping up and down. And uh, we, we learn in the next verse, read with me, uh, verse 14. Sorry, uh, lost my spot. Verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly uh, utterly astounded, ran together in the portico called Solomon's. Some of your translations will say Solomon's porch. It's just an area of the temple where normally people would give lectures and talk. It was a public area where people could do teaching. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. And so this man, he, he's healed. He's wanted this his entire life. He, he believed in faith that somehow the name of Jesus, who was crucified, was somehow going to heal him. The same person who healed the guy a couple years ago. And he grabs onto Peter's hands and he's able to run and jump and everything. And he doesn't want to let go of Peter and John. Right? He's just holding on to them. He clung to them. He's like, I don't know if this is going to continue to work, but I love it, and I'm going to hang out with you guys because if anything doesn't work, you guys can fix it. And Peter seizes his opportunity to give a message to the people. There are hundreds, thousands of people beginning to hear, and as the news travel, news travels fast because it's uh, in the middle of the day, people are praying, and someone just healed. You know the guy by the beautiful gate? He's been there for 40 years. He's been healed. There's something amazing that's happening. Maybe there's something new taking place, and they're in awe of Peter and John. Verse 12, and when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you state, stare at us as though by our own power of piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked him and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Verse 15. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and now know, and the faith that is through Jesus Christ has given the man, this man perfect health and the presence of you all. I want to point out a couple things. One, Peter and John says, the power that you just saw didn't come from us. It had nothing to do with us. It had to do with Jesus. And this is something that we have to point out because I think even people who have been following Jesus for all of their life have a really hard time understanding this. Jesus is alive. If you're taking notes with us today, it is important that you know Jesus is alive. Just in case, one more time, Jesus is alive. He, he's not dead. He is alive. And yet somehow I think in, in our minds we go, Jesus died 2,000 years ago and now like there's another part of God, the Holy Spirit, who's working now. No, Jesus is alive here and now. Jesus is alive. And Jesus grabs his closest followers to him, 120 to start off, and says, hey, I have to go to the Father. 
I'm going to go to the Father. But he lived, he ate, he taught, he showed them proofs that he was the same person that they thought was dead. He is alive. And he's like, you are going to receive power from the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses. What are you going to witness? You're going to tell people I'm alive, that I have power, that I have beaten the grave, I have beaten sin, and everyone who comes to faith in me, who trusts in me, will be saved. Everyone who does that, you are my witnesses. Tell them I'm alive. And I have power here and now. The Holy Spirit is going to remind you of that power. But I have power here and now. Folks, nothing's changed. It's been 2,000 years since this miracle. The same Jesus is alive. The same power from his Holy Spirit is just as active now as it was then. And yet sometimes instead of being in awe and amazement at what Jesus has done, some of us is like, oh, it's Sunday. It's kind of a, a cold day. I don't know if I'm going to go to church today. What's the point in doing this? I kind of feel like I'm going through the motions. Or you wake up in the morning and you, you get your to-do list for the day. If you're nerds, if you're free spirits, it's like, ah, covers over the head sleep for another 15 minutes but Jesus is alive and he has purpose for your life today he doesn't want you to live your life in isolation he's calling you to live for something bigger he's alive and Peter and John says the power that you've seen in me is not our power it's Jesus the one you killed the one that you said you'd rather have a murder that's referring to Barabbas who the uh Pilate says, do you want me to release Jesus or do you want me to release Barabbas? And they said, give us the murderer. We want the murderer. Kill him. And Peter says two things that I want to point out. And we can't forget Jesus in this. Not only is Jesus alive, but Peter tells us something that is so true about God that we need to make a mental note and go, this is true about my Jesus. The first is that Jesus is the holy and righteous one. What verse is that? Verse 14. But you denied the holy and the righteous one. Jesus lived a perfect life. He is the only one that was righteous, which is good news for us. Because the sacrificial system of God requires that there is a a sacrifice, a pure sacrifice that forgives us of our sins. And Peter is saying, you killed the holy and the righteous one. He also said that you killed the author of life. Jesus is the author of life. We believe in one God, three persons, which I know just makes the brain hurt. Father, Jesus, the Son of God, and the Holy Spirit. But all throughout the Bible, Jesus is credited to creation. He made everything. He is the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation. He formed everything. He knows us. We're made in his image. And we killed God. I say we because you guys, who watches too much Netflix like me? A couple of us? Well, you guys are just liars. Um, (laughs) We, 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 we watch Netflix and we watch shows that tell a story over and over again, mainly because 
one, I think some of us are bored, and we identify more with the bigger story that's going on the screen instead of the story that God wants us to participate in. But when we connect to a story, we connect to characters. And, and so as we look at this story, it might be easy for us to connect to Jesus. It's like, yeah, Jesus has power. He's there. I know who that guy is. It might be easy for us to connect with the disciples. Uh, many of us are disciples. We're, we're learners, which is what the word means. We're wanting to grow closer and closer to Jesus and take the next step in our walk and our journey to be able to understand him more, to be able to see what he wants for us and how to love people better and how to live the life that he's called us to. Some of us might connect to the guy that was healed. Uh, maybe you weren't physically healed. Maybe you were. But if you are a believer in Jesus, there is a transformation, a healing that took place inside of your heart. You were dead in your sins. You were dead in your trespasses. You were just kind of going through the world and the motions. And all of a sudden, you put your faith and trust in Jesus and you woke up. You realize that there is a bigger world out there, that God of this universe loves you. The God of this universe has a plan for you, and something absolutely amazing took place. And you could say, life is fantastic because I love Jesus. He has saved me. He's rescued me. I don't understand everything that's going on right now, but I know life is a lot better than it was. And I know that I want to know him more, and there is an appetite for his word. There's an appetite to serve and to love people more. There is an appetite to know that God has a plan for you and all the people around you, and he wants to use you. Not many of us want to identify with the crowd, because the crowd are religious people. They're Jews. They're the people that, that killed God, and they're extremely, extremely religious. These are the people that are going to pray three maybe four times a day, and they have these rituals, and they go, you know what? Jesus died. We hung him on the cross, and we don't want to connect with those people because they seem like they're zealots. They seem like they are so focused in their thinking, and they object to everything. They don't want to experience the supernatural. They just want to go, that's not how God works. I think it's amazing that God transforms Peter's life. And this is the guy that's hiding from a teenage girl in John chapter 20. And he's like, I'm, I'm not a follower of Jesus. And now he's boldly going to the people who killed Jesus and saying, you took a murderer over the author of life, over the holy and righteous one. How dare you? There is boldness and transformation that took place in his life today. I'm going to ask you, if you can, connect with this crowd. Because I believe the message for them is the same message we need to hold on to today. Let's connect with this crowd and look at what Peter tells this crowd. The first thing he tells them is, you killed God. You killed the only one that could create life. You killed the only one that is holy and righteous. You killed God, and I killed him. Because of our sin and the mess that I find myself in, I needed a perfect sacrifice to heal me. My sin, your sin, 
killed the author of life. And we could beat ourselves up about that or we could push back and go, what are you talking about? I give money to the lame people. I give money to the people at the intersection of Antelope and Roseville Road. I give money to, I am righteous. You can't tell me that I am a sinner. Yes, I can. Everyone falls short of the glory of God. No one is righteous, not even one. The wages of our sin is death, is what the Bible says. But it doesn't stop there. The gift of God is eternal life. Verse 17, And now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that is, his Christ, would suffer. He thus fulfilled, repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that the time of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of of restoring all things about which God has spoken about by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord will rise up for you a prophet just like me from your brothers. And we're going to continue that in just a little bit. Listen to Peter's sermon. He's saying, you killed God. You crucified him. But you acted in ignorance. What happened to Jesus was prophesied long before you were even born. 700 years before Jesus was born. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 52, 53, and 54, I I encourage you to read it. It talks about the life and the death events of Jesus prophesied 700 years before he was even born. Jesus, if if he wanted to, he could not control that as a man. But he is the one that God sent into this world to be the perfect suffering servant for our sins. What the crowd should be thinking. If I I want the murderer instead of the author of life, the same guy who has the power to heal me, he says, repent. Last week we said the word repent. It means come home. Turn around from the way that you're living and come back to God. Come home. Trust in Jesus. If you're heading in this direction, go, I'm not going there anymore. I'm turning around. Look at this for a second. If you're heading in this direction and you stop and you repent, have you changed any distance at all? No. All you need to do is repent, turn, look back at Jesus. You're not even going here. And you're blotted out. Now, he doesn't want to leave you here. He wants to guide you and lead you into an everlasting perfect life. So there's three things I want to talk about. When Peter says, repent, turn to God, and your sins will be forgiven, he's talking about the past, he's talking about the present, and he's talking about the future. He is talking about our past. When we turn and we face Jesus, and we go, I love you, I trust you, I'm giving you my life, here's my life, take my life, all your pasts are behind you. They don't affect your standing with God anymore. You are forgiven. When you think about your past, what do you think about? Even the past five seconds, as I said that sentence, what do you think about? If you turn to Jesus, if you come home, 
Your sins are forgiven. Some of you husbands need to hear that today. You have right standing before God if you've turned to Jesus. People who are hurting and depressed and just wrestling with life, turn to Jesus. There's a doctor who lives in Lafayette, Indiana, who works at uh, a mental institution. And he made a statement, he wrote about it, and he said that he believes that about 90% of the people that he works with every single day would be able to, to be uh, re-associated with society if they could just find some type of forgiveness in their life. But their past hinders them. It blocks their mind. It blocks their, their ability to be able to connect with other people. They're filled with anxiety and depression. And if they could just realize that they belong to God and that their past is forgiven, they would be completely new people. Not only does God forgive our past, he works in our presence. As we turn to Jesus, we believe that he is alive. The same name that healed this man even after he ascended into heaven is working in our lives right now and he is present in our lives today. Nowhere you can you go where you cannot find him with you working in your life right now and some of you need a reminder that Jesus is present here and now. He is present when you don't agree with your kids. He's present when you have conflict in your life. He is present when it seems like you think that God has forgotten you and even when you don't see he's working. He is working and he's present in the here and now. The text also says that he is going to work in our future. He is coming back again. Jesus ascended into heaven. He is preparing a place for us right now. And he is going to come back in the flesh. When he comes back, he is going to judge the world uh, among who is with them and who is not with them. There is going to be final justice. All who have put their faith in Jesus Christ will be saved because Jesus already suffered the punishment that we deserved. All who want to live life on their own is going to be condemned. And people don't like that message, but that is the message of the Bible. If we are going to believe the truth of the Bible, we have to believe all of it. And if you are aligned with Jesus Christ, you are saved here and now and for the future. But if you are not aligned with Jesus, there is eternal destruction. And we need to know that God is a God of his word. And what he says is going to happen is going to happen. You don't have to like it, but that is what's going to happen. And so Peter gives his audience a choice. And he says, you killed God, but you act ignorantly. I am going to tell you who he is. He is the suffering servant. He is the one that Moses talked about. He is the one that Abraham talked about. He is the one that all of the prophets talked about. In fact, he, let's go in through this. I'm getting excited. He goes through the entire Old Testament in five verses. He's like, I'm going to tell you who Jesus is. And he goes through the entire Old Testament in five verses. Don't hear what I'm not saying. This doesn't mean you don't have to read your Old Testament. But, but he summarizes the entire Old Testament in just a few verses. Look, verse 20. Sorry, verse 21. Uh, verse 22. Moses said, The Lord God will raise to you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. 23. And it it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet will be destroyed from the people. 
Verse 24, and all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel to those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are sons of the prophet of the covenant that God made with your father saying to Abraham and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God having raised up his servants sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. That's the entire Old Testament. It starts with the law of Moses, and we have the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Then he goes into the prophets and the historic times. This is who God raised up from Samuel all the way out to Isaiah. And he's like, this is what's happening. There is going to be a prophet who's greater than Moses. His word is not going to fall. He's going to say things. He's always going to do things the way that that God the Father wants to be done. Trust him. He is going to work in a powerful way in your life. Jesus came. He was that prophet. He says all of the prophets pointed to Jesus. All of the prophets pointed to Jesus. The prophets were able to, to take a, draw a line in the sand and says, this is truth. And Jesus says, I am the truth. Trust in me. If you follow me, you're going to experience life. If you don't follow me, it's going to be death. Follow me. Jesus is our priest. He, just like Abraham, he was able to, uh, to be a priest and talk to God and to appeal for other people just like Abraham. Jesus is our priest. He is the one that connects with the Father and he does not condemn us. He goes, they believe in me. Their punishment was on me. They have grace. They're part of our family. They are a child of God. Trust him. Jesus is our king. There is going to be a king from the line of David that is going to reign forever. Jesus is that person. The entire Old Testament points to Jesus Christ. And today, you have a choice. You could be like this blind beggar who for three and a half years of his life was brought to the gate beautiful and heard the name of Jesus. And didn't speak up, didn't grab Jesus' attention, didn't move him that way, didn't do anything. He just wondered, who is this Jesus? What's going on? He got involved with all the different things. I'm speculating a little bit. But this man knew the name of Jesus. And perhaps you grew up with the name of Jesus, but he's not God. He is not Lord of your life. You don't want to trust him. Why not? Why not? Perhaps the Holy Spirit is working in your heart right now, trying to grab your attention and saying, you want life? You want purpose? You want the abundant life that you could have? Trust in Jesus. Give him your life. Take his sacrifice upon yourself and know that he wants to forgive you of your past. He wants to be with you here and now. He has a plan for your future, not just in this life, but in the next to come. And I really want to press hard. Some of us need to come to Jesus now. Especially, hear me, especially if there's conflict going on in your life. Jesus is not a drug that's going to fix your marriage right away. He's not going to fix your parenting issues or other things. But he is the God of this universe. And he could change you from the inside out. If you're going this way and you stop and you turn to him, there's not a lot of direction that's happened. But as you begin to take the next step and the next step, 
He is going to mold you more and more into the person, the man and woman he wants you to become. Would you trust him with your life? How can I trust him with my life? Before he was even born, it was predicted who he was. The Holy Spirit might be nudging you right now, saying, you know this is true. He wants you. God wants you. He's grabbing your attention. Would you give him your life today and trust in him today? I'm going to invite the band to come on up. But I have to appeal to you. You have a choice. Will you choose life today? If you are in a period of chaos, no matter what's going on in your life, Will you ask God to step in and to minister, to bring light into darkness? By the name of Jesus, would you ask him to heal that broken relationship? Would you ask him to work in a powerful way? He can make the lame walk. Yes, he could work in your marriage. He could work in your life. He could work in your family. He can heal you right now. Will you trust him? Father, I pray that you would, you would speak by the power of your Holy Spirit into our souls. Lord, we don't do things the right way. I don't do things the right way. God, if there is a sin that continues to tangle us up, help us to repent, to turn away from that, and to make a commitment right now. We're not going to follow that anymore. We're going to follow you. Jesus, I pray that you would become what we desire, what we hold on to, that you would become our life. And if there's someone in here who has not made a decision to follow you right now, help them to pray this prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. I trust you. I'm going to start following you. And Father, I pray that you would help them to turn from their wicked ways, that you would restore the people who pray that prayer, that you would bring them into your kingdom a light, and you would wake them up, wake them up here and now, wake them up so that they know that they are fantastic, not because they could muster up any emotions, but because you are with them and that you have saved them and you've given them your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to trust in you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.